Listener supported. WNYC Studios. What's up, Work It? The ladies. The ladies. I love uh, lady podcasters. I love podcasters in general. We're telling our stories. Are you ready for some tactical, practical, breaking things down, making some money? Okay. I'm in a room in Los Angeles with only women, and it's pretty awesome. Welcome back to the Work It podcast from WNYC Studios. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and I'll be your host this season. We've got a new batch of episodes all about making podcasts, selling podcasts, hosting podcasts, breathing podcasts, slaying podcasts, and living out your podcast dreams. If you're in the business or you're hoping to get into it, this show is for you. Everything you're about to hear was recorded at the theater at the Ace Hotel in Los Angeles. That's where we held the 2017 Work It Festival for Women Podcasters. Three days, three nights, nearly 600 women. You'll hear practical tips on voicing and scoring and editing, advice on how to turn a profit, and stories from women on how they came up in this business. We're going to start with Anna Sale, host of Death, Sex, and Money. Anna kicked off the festival on day one, our podcast bootcamp day. Anna used to work in the WNYC newsroom as a reporter with me. Then in 2013, she pitched an idea for a podcast. And before we knew it, she was hosting her own show. Here's how she did it. Okay, hello everyone. I'm Anna Sale. I'm the host of Death, Sex, and Money, a podcast from WNYC Studios. And this is the first ever boot camp day of Work It. This is the day we're going to learn how to make your dream podcast. So my talk is about how I got to start a podcast that brings me joy and provides me health insurance. Because let's be real, making money matters. So... This is, my, this is my, my journey towards that. Um, I just want to get a sense of who is in the room, who right now works for a company that makes podcasts and makes podcasts. Raise your hand, clap. Okay. Who uh, is, wants to make a podcast but has not started at all? Okay, cool. We're about half and half. Wonderful. So we're going to teach each other. Um, so here's my story of how I got to make Death, Sex, and Money, which is a podcast from WNYC Studios. And... I'm going to tell you in 11 simple steps, and we're going to roll through it in about 25 minutes. So this is, this is the way I did it. There are many ways to do it, but this is the way I did it. The first tip I would give you is to listen to your restlessness. Because like any creative project, starting a podcast, making audio, starts with that sense in your gut that you feel pulled towards something, but you don't have the words for what it is you want to make. You don't have the first step. All you know is you're feeling kind of pulled by this part of your body to do something and make something. Listen to that. And I think many of you, that's why you're here, you've listened to that. You've listened and said, I need to gather together and learn how to do that more. Um, For me, that kind of listening to my creative gut is how I got into radio in 2005. This was my first year when I was reporting for West Virginia Public Radio. It's how I decided that I wanted to move to Connecticut and I was reporting on politics for Connecticut Public Radio and doing the very important community garden beat for Connecticut Public Radio. And it's what got me to WNYC where I eventually was covering national politics. This is me at the Democratic National Convention in 2012. So that gets me to tip number two, which is also something you're already doing. Get near people who are doing what you want to do. Um, One thing that I have found very useful in my life that doesn't sound very honorable is when when I know I have that 
feeling that I want to be doing something but don't know what it is, I try to pause and take stock of who I'm feeling the most envious of. <laughs> like, who is the person that you look at and you're like, ah, if I could just do that. And then try to follow them around <laughs> and go where they're going. When I moved to New York City in 2009, I did not have a job. It was the middle of the recession. And I stood out in front of WNYC's headquarters in Varick Street and watched the people go in and out with their security cards. And I wanted to be them so badly and didn't know how. I actually took a picture of myself opening the door and walking through and put it on a vision board. So I eventually got into the building. Um, but my first job at WNYC was not a job that I thought was my dream job. It was a behind-the-scenes producer role. I'd been a reporter for a couple of years, and I was helping to run a news show. And I had that feeling of like, should I really, should I take this job, or should I keep trying to do my dream job that I don't really know what it is, but I need to make money, what do I do? And I think those are the jobs that are really important to take as part of step two, getting near the people who are doing what you want to do, because you learn from them. And a really important book for me during this process in my career was called The Artist in the Office. It came out the winter of 20, or 2010, so I just started at WNYC. It's by this great illustrator named Summer Pierre. And it's all about how to bring your creative self into the job that you're doing to support yourself. It has really basic, good tips, like decorate your cubicle and pay attention to the creative collaborations you're making with your coworkers, even if you're not making art during your day job. Value those relationships, because those are relationships that are going to help you get closer to what you want to do. And practice, even when you don't know what you're practicing for. If you know you want to make audio, if you know you want to make a podcast, work on a podcast, start recording things and seeing what you get. Start recording yourself and seeing what you get. Um, even when you don't know what your podcast is. Like, this, this was really important for me when I was starting as a reporter, because at first I thought, okay, the way to be, like, the best reporter in the world, to have the biggest impact is to be an investigative journalist, so that's what I'm going to do. And then I thought, well, maybe, maybe the best way to be the best reporter is to be a national correspondent or a foreign correspondent. And here's me trying to be a foreign correspondent in 2007, <laughs> Uh, when I was still in West Virginia working for the public radio station there, I went on a deployment and covered the West Virginia Air Guard, and this is at Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. So I was learning about, you know, the life of a foreign correspondent. I was trying to figure out what kinds of stories I could tell. And I'm going to play you a clip of an interview I did during this <laughs> reporting trip where I was supposed to report on deployments, and I interviewed this guy, Tech Sergeant Adam Harper. We're on the tarmac. He's on his way home to West Virginia after his, his third or fourth deployment to the Middle East and, and, and to Afghanistan in the last several years. He'd gone again and again. And this is the tape that, that I thought was really excited that I collected. It's tough adjusting to, you know, I can't do trips like I used to. I used to go and, you know, I knew my wife could take care of herself. And, you know, and sometimes she probably enjoyed the break from me. And now it's, it's, it's hard leaving my son. It's changed my perspective quite a bit. Have you been deployed since he was born? Uh, I went to, yes. Yes, I went to the desert in 05. He was uh, a little over a year old. And uh, that, that, that morning was the toughest. Because I think I had to be at the airport at 3. And he was still asleep and I didn't want to wake him up. And it was everything I could do to leave the house. 
The thing that I love looking back at this interview is like, this is something that I would be excited about putting on Death, Sex, and Money today, which is the show I make. And I was learning how to do that. I was learning about the stories that I was most pulled towards, which are that interface between our public lives and our personal lives. And here he is telling me about that, about feeling that pull when he's having to walk out the door to go on another deployment. Tip number four is get edited. And this is, can be scary when you're starting out, when you're just collecting that tape for the first time, just putting yourself on tape and recording yourself, just learning how to write for the ear. You're going to get a lot wrong. And so to sit with someone you trust, whether it's someone who's a mentor or someone who's your peer, and play your stuff for each other, that's what makes you better. Um, because the alternative is to just put it out for your audience and they're going to hear you learning in public, even if you edit many, many times. The thing about making audio is you're making something to be consumed by the public, and they're going to hear you learn. So find that place to get comfortable with making sort of clumsy, clunky audio when you're just starting out. Here's a little clumsy, clunky audio from Anna in 2005. This is me back in West Virginia, and I was doing this story that I loved. I found this guy. He pulled up this Greyhound bus up on top of a rock that was in the middle of a river to build a fishing camp. And I was just like, how'd you find the bus? How'd you get it up on the rock? It was a really fun story. And this is the way I told that story. Rumors swirl in Fayette County about just how the bus landed there. Some say a band of college kids pulled it up on the rocks in the 1960s. Others claim the bus was washed out to the middle of the river during a flood. The truth is that it was the work of one man, Bruiser Cole, who was in search of the perfect fishing camp. And as fabled as his camp has become, Cole's given it a simple name. Bus on a rock. <laughs> so I love Bruiser Cole. I still love his tape. My tape is terrible. Like, I'm just writing too much. You can hear me not really knowing what to do with the ambient sound of the river. Um, I, I loved this story when I produced it, and I just heard it again for the first time in years a few months ago, and I, I was, I, my voice was like six registers higher than how I actually talk, because I was trying to impersonate a news person, um, and I was trying to get the, like, lilt and, like, but the point is, that's totally normal. I was learning, and I, and I got to like learn that you can call up a guy by looking him up in a phone book, and he'll row you out to his fishing camp in the middle of the river, which was the best lesson. Even if the radio story, in hindsight, I would, I would voice it a little differently now. So as you're practicing, as you're learning in public, as you're getting editing, edited, this is a really important set of questions to be asking yourself. Because I think, particularly for women, we like to be competent and excellent at every task that is before us. And we forget to ask that question, what are the parts of this that I actually like doing? Um, for me, I really like going out into the field. I love interviewing people. The, the sort of being the boss person in charge is not my greatest skill. That is why I so love the Death, Sex, and Money team who are the boss people in charge and, and help me figure out how to make the show. If you love editing, go towards that. If, you, if you're making a story that's like you feel like is the kind of story you want to do, but it's just something about the characters aren't singing with you, like pause and, and think about the kinds of stories you're telling. I'm going to play you a video clip of the moment this was like the, the like height of my professional sort of crisis moment. Um, 
this is, I was covering politics in New York City in the newsroom, and which was an incredible honor. Here I am, I'd grown up in West Virginia. I wasn't from the city. I was trying to learn all about New York City. I was trying to do it well, covering the mayor's race. And this guy, Anthony Weiner, was among the candidates. And this was a press conference I was assigned to cover. And it was his press conference with his wife, Huma Abedin, talking about the second time he had been caught sexting. Um, and this is a clip from the documentary Weiner. I love him. I have forgiven him. I believe in him. And as we have said from the beginning, we are moving forward. Thank you very much. Thank you. Why should we trust your judgment? Why? Isn't that sad? I'm, I, why? And they pause and they even look at me. And then they decide to turn and walk away. Um, so, so I was feeling after covering the 2012 election and talking to a lot of voters and then going right into the 2013 mayor's race, I was having all these conversations with voters, doing the kinds of interviews that I love doing, but I was feeling like the people, the voters I was covering are not feeling heard and I am not helping with the stories I'm actually putting out on the air. I was feeling like I'm asking questions such as that one that are not getting answered honestly. And I also was feeling like my stories were highlighting divisions and not increasing understanding. So I was really having this crisis of purpose. This was also my job, right? So it's like, okay, I'm just gonna notice this stuff. I'm gonna notice this restlessness and see what happens next. Because I also was in great personal turmoil around this time. Um, this is a picture of me on the streets of New York around then, just staring up, looking for direction. <laughs> I was divorced, I was in a long distance relationship, I was getting used to the idea that I was now totally and completely in charge of my financial destiny. I didn't know if I was gonna live in New York, I didn't know if I should leave. I just was having all these questions, that restlessness swirling around. And so then, tip number seven, this is why we're all here. It's the magic, it's the thing you can't control, it's luck, it's why you make vision boards, it's why you just wanna stay alert to the things that you're not in charge of, and that's the invitation. The invitation to help you get a little clearer on what it is you want to make and how you can make it. Um, my greatest invitation came in the form of an email that went to everyone who worked at WNYC, and it was just a basic, hey, we're having a contest. Everyone who works here, we think we're looking for new show ideas. Tell us what you think. Um, we're looking for new ideas and new talent, Chris Bannon said, who was the then program director, who's now at mid-roll. We're looking for a fresh perspective, an original point of view, maybe a little attitude. So I get this email and I'm like, here it is. Here's that moment to try to put words to what I really, really would love to do. But I didn't have the words but I had an assignment. I had five questions that Chris laid out that were questions that you had to answer for your podcast idea or for your pilot idea. And so I'm like walking the dog, thinking about what are the things I'm thinking about? What do I want to hear more of? And I'm thinking about money, I'm thinking about where I am in my life and all these career questions. I'm thinking about sex. I'm thinking about the pivotal relation, the pivotal role that our relationships have in our lives and the ways that a lot of that had felt a little underexplored to me. Um, and also death, the reason why all of this has stakes is that we have limited time. So I'm like, how? 
And then I thought, what if I just made a podcast called Death, Sex, and Money? That's kind of funny. Um, and so that became my pitch, and it was became the elevator pitch for the show. This was the first question that um, was asked when you had to submit into the contest. And at the time, I had no tape. I didn't know what it was. I called it a weekly show, an irreverent and honest look at what worries us in our rapidly changing economic, social, and family lives. And I also knew that no matter the segment, the storytelling device that I wanted to use was personal storytelling. Instead of having like a quote from a voter that then goes into why the polls are what they are in an election story, I wanted to have the big questions all sort of addressed through the lens of one person who's taking us along. Um, so I knew that about what I wanted to do. I didn't know how. Um, and then I got the opportunity to pilot it from, from WNYC. They said, we like your idea. Try it. <laughs> um, so then I was like, how do I, how do I get tape? What, am I, what is this? What am I, I was sitting in a corner with a laptop much like this one, learning Pro Tools. I'd never used Pro Tools before as an editing software. Um, and so I went back to that question of like, what is the show that I need? What is the show that I need? And uh, I had the helpful... Um, uh, uh, coincidence that my personal life had continued to be in, in turmoil while I was piloting. Um, and this is a piece of tape that I got on my cell phone. Ms. Anna Sales, this is Alan K. Simpson in the wilds of Wyoming, former U.S. Senator. This is a message I got on my cell phone. I need to talk to you about an urgent matter. Nothing life-threatening at all, I can assure you. So I did, that's a real voice message that I got on my cell phone. And so the backstory here is my then ex-boyfriend, who was a wildlife biologist, did a lot of work in Wyoming. We had broken up because it felt like, I live in New York, you live in Wyoming, what's the future here? He was getting this grant in Wyoming with this big ceremony. I was supposed to have been his date, and I told him I wasn't coming. And Arthur, as like a Hail Mary wrote a letter to Alan Simpson, who he didn't know, and said, will you ask her to come to the ceremony? Will you call her on my behalf? So um, a few things about this moment in my life. It was weird. Um, I called Alan Simpson back, and uh, his wife was in the background of the phone, and they're talking to me. They're reading me bits of this letter that I'd never heard of, and they start telling me about their marriage and their, what they'd gone through in their 60 years together, including time apart, including couples counseling when their kids were young, um, how they'd made sort of gotten through tough times, and it was this incredible thing that was real and happening and, and genuine. And I also was piloting a podcast. And so I thought, shit, I have to like do something. I, what, what, how do I integrate this into a radio story in a way that's both like honoring this experience as being as special as it was in my life? And also, do I feel comfortable making a story that's all about not knowing if I want to be with my partner and feeling confused. Um, but I did. I ended up going to Wyoming. I talked to Al and Ann at their kitchen table in Cody, Wyoming, talked to them about their marriage, uh, a lot of things, not just about me. Um, but this is a moment that, that stands out to me in that piloting process. I did end up going to that ceremony, which had a ball afterwards. Um, and this is a piece of tape from that story. And the ball ended, and I had a plane to catch the next morning. And I didn't know what to tell Arthur about what would happen next. Because it wasn't just the distance that had made it hard for us. 
I was also really scared of committing to a relationship that wasn't going to work. I'm divorced. I'm in my 30s, and I want to be a mother. And I was so afraid of making the wrong choice again and losing time. Anne says that that night at the ball, she could tell. I saw them, there were some wounds there. What did you see? Well, there was, it was a little touchy. You were a little, you know, a little standoffish. And uh, thought, well, either it'll work or it won't. But at least you were willing to give it a try. Yeah. If it cratered, I wouldn't lose a bit of sleep. Not a bit. (laughs) No, really, I mean that. Because you've done what you can do. So there's a lot about that moment that, that I love, but the, the, the visceral memory I have of standing in a studio with a script, having to say in front of a producer into a microphone that I'm in my early 30s, I'm afraid I messed up one time, I don't know how much time I have, I've got to make this critical choice and I don't feel certain. Um, it's still like I feel, like I can feel it in my body. Uh, it was not easy, it was scary. <laughs> um, Uh, But I think it also helped me really clarify about what I wanted the show, what Death, Sex, and Money, to do for listeners. Um, I wanted them to have that moment of like, oh God, oh God, oh God, I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna like face that thing that's the scary thing. Um, And that's tip number nine, which I think is really, really critical um, because your podcast is not just about you. Uh, It's about, if you're making something that you want listeners to come to, you've got to spend some time being relentless with yourself about what is this thing I'm making and what's my argument to listeners for their attention. Because the thing with podcasts are they are on demand. Every listener has to choose to press play. So that's a critical part of thinking about what kind of work you want to make and what you want to put out into the world. It's, it's what's my argument to this? What am I, what's my point of view that I'm adding? What's my sort of storytelling style? What do I notice? It's a hole in the marketplace. And this is a harder question now than when I started the show because it's even crowder space, more crowded space. But I think it's a really important question to ask because ultimately you're making something for listeners to come to. So think about that. And then once you get the opportunity to make something for listeners, pause and say, what do I need to really do this well? Um, And I think this is a a hard question for me too, because when you get an opportunity to make this thing that has been giving you a stomach ache for maybe a month or two years or five years or 10 years, it can feel like such a blessing and you're just like, I'm gonna do anything I can to get to hold on to this opportunity. But in order to have a podcast that brings you both joy and health insurance, you've got to get real about what do I need to get paid to do this? How do I ask for that? What kind of help do I need? What are the skills that I don't have that I need someone to join in? What kind of partnerships can I do? Um, This is really important also for independent people. It's a different set of questions than people who work for stations like me. But I think it's really important to be honest with yourself about not going into this being a martyr. Say, like, how can I make this sustainable? Because I want to make this show. I want to make this podcast. I want to join this team. And I want it to to thrive and feel like an exciting thing. Um, I had this moment when about a year after Death, Sex, and Money launched, I got married. And very quickly afterwards, I got pregnant, which was a great 
blessing, and it also was like, what do I do? How do I, how do I keep growing this show that I'm so proud of and care so much about and also take maternity leave? Um, and this is something I asked about at WNYC, and thankfully, thanks in large part to our CEO, Laura Walker, I had paid maternity leave. I also had a team that rallied with me and helped us figure out our production plan to cover while I was gonna be out. And I got to be on stage while I was pregnant with Lisa Fisher, who you might know from 20 Feet from Stardom. She's singing to my fetus. Like, <laughs> this is because I said, like, I'm pregnant, I, let's make it like integrated into the show. And that led to this moment, which is probably one of the best moments on planet Earth that I have had. Um, and when you get these blessings, when you ask for what you need, when, when people rise up to support you, the 11th tip is you need to pass it on because that is how we can all lift each other. Um, and this was something that was really great about stepping away during my maternity leave because one of the things we learned or we thought about was like, what if we had previous guests on the show sit in and be guest host and ask who they'd want to interview for a Death, Sex, and Money episode? And one person who was excited to do it was Sonia Manzano, who you know is Maria from Sesame Street. She'd been on the show. Katie Bishop, our senior producer, emailed her and said, would you want to do this? Who would you want to talk to? And she's like, I think I'd like to talk to Justice Sotomayor, my friend. And we said, that's a great idea. <laughs> Um, you know, they're both Puerto Rican, they're both from the Bronx, and they had a conversation that is not one that I could ever have led as an interviewer, and I'm so glad it happened. And I want to play you a piece of tape of their exchange because it's about what they were able to create together in the studio, and it's also about words, which is the sacred work that we're doing when we work in audio. We are trying to communicate with the tools we have in people's ears, which are words. Words can kill they can drive people to do acts that are horrible. Um, we use words in fights to instigate people to do things they might in calmness not think of doing. And words can evoke emotions. And used properly, they can inform. And they can lead people to think about things in radically different ways than they might not otherwise. But it took me a long time to love words that way mm -hmm. and to understand their power. Your dissents are, are very, very emotional. Now, I'll just read a few. I quote, race matters to a young man's view of society when he spends his teenage years watching others tense up as he passes, no matter the neighborhood where he grew up. Race matters to a young woman's sense of self when she states her hometown and then is pressed. No. Where are you really from? Regardless of, your words move me, my dear. <laughs> Regardless of how many generations her family has been in this country. Race matters because of the slights and the snickers, the silent judgments that reinforce the most crippling of thoughts. I do not belong here. How do you, how do you make such statements without blowing up, getting emotional, wanting to take your shoe off and throw it at somebody. Well, you're assuming I don't have those emotions. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. And <laughs> they end laughing together. Um, I love that moment. Uh, 
And it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't stepped away, like if I hadn't said, I need to take maternity leave. Like that wouldn't exist in the world. Um, so it's a good lesson in making room. Um, another thing about podcasts are you're not just making audio episodes, you're making ways for people to gather. Uh, this is a spreadsheet that we made. We did an episode all about breakup stories earlier this year. And we thought, what's it, when you're going through a breakup, you just like want that help with like how to occupy your energy and your mind. And, and we just did this open Google spreadsheet. And you can see in the top right corner, all the people anonymously like looking through it and entering things. And it's things to do, things to watch, things to listen to. And we just put it out on social along with our episode. And then this summer, we got an email from a listener who like knew how to make things beautiful on the web. And she made this website, um, breakupsurvival.guide. You should all go to it. And you press this button and it like, all those ideas just pop up one by one, and it's really beautiful. It's sort of like, oh, this is what it feels like when people are just like pitching in and sharing and helping each other. Um, and passing it on is also why we were able to do this great series of episodes about student loans that we put together this summer. And that was because we asked the question, how are student loans affecting your life and what you feel like is possible for you in your adulthood? And we were inundated with stories, both before as we were making the audio and then afterwards online, we got thousands more stories um, on a website of people sharing their student loan stories. Um, and really, <laughs> we called the series our student loan secrets because it felt like for many people, this is something that they were hiding, not saying out loud, felt shame about, um, but we wanted to lift up that this is an incredibly common experience and increasingly so uh, for people coming out of higher ed. So that's what I've gotten to do with Death, Sex, and Money, and it's really important to me. I really care about my work, and this is your closing pep talk. <laughs> this is boot camp day. So think about what you have already started to do to get you closer to making the audio and making the podcast that you might not even know what it is yet, but you're here. You're with your peers and your colleagues and with people who can help, ask for help, and take this really seriously because work, the work that you have to add, that feeling in your gut is, is, is what you wanna express and you gotta figure out ways to get it out. So let's help each other get that out. Um, and here's a little closing, closing from Ellen Burstyn, who's one of my very favorite guests on Death, Sex, and Money. And I asked her at 82 why she was still taking so many roles. Why work so much at this point in your life? I'm good at it. And it feels good to do things that you're good at, you know? Things that you've developed and learned and perfected to the best of your ability. It's your vehicle t t for excellence. And that feels healthy. Mm -hmm. I like working. That was Anna Sale speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Haan, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com.